Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Late Late Show. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days... While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and more importantly, we welcome Cole back from injury. He's passed the fitness test and that means the band is back together. Cole, it's a pleasure to have you back on board. How have you been, my friend? Yeah, really good, Dan. Good to be back. And it's good to know that VAR's keeping us keeping us busy at the moment, isn't it? Another fabulous weekend. Oh, it's going to keep us really busy in this hour. Well, of course, one should not forget that Drew has been carrying the load for the last couple of weeks. And Drew, before you tell me how you've been, can you just remind us of that baseball player one last time? Yes, Wally Pip, the man who asked for a day off and then was replaced by one of the greatest players of all time, Lou Gehrig, who played every single game for the next 10 or 15 years. So, Carl, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're feeling better and uh, are here to join us. Excellent. Right, before we chat all things VAR and, <laughs> <laughs> and the football that goes with it, let's do the social media bits first. So, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. And we've reached 100 shareholders today. So, if you want to join the community, get involved. Of course, you can search via iTunes for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, don't forget to leave a review. And you can, of course, also subscribe if you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool? I hear you ask. It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing. One which is free to enter and the prize pool once again stands at £1,000. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. Because the odds are winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? Let's go to a couple of grounds because ultimately they had the same outcomes. And that means both Liverpool and Manchester City edged out late wins. 
Now, Cole, it's quite rare that they both play 3pm on a Saturday these days. It's also quite rare that they're both behind in the game. But, come full time, it was eventually business as usual. Yeah, it was really strange. I mean, you know, once once City got level, you kind of thought they might go on to win it. But as that Liverpool game ebb, ebbed away, you kind of started thinking, are we going to see the first slip up here from Liverpool? And then obviously, how do they, how, you know, how will they react? How, you know, how do they... You know, does that knock their momentum? But not only do they get the equaliser, but to then go on and within the last kick of the game, basically nick it and get the three points, it must have, you know, that that is just a sign of true champions, isn't it? Who kind of, you know, never give in. They never surrender. Even if they get the point, it's not enough. They think they're going to go and get the winner at that point. Um, unlucky for Villa, but it just goes to show that these two teams play such good football and, and they don't stop going until the very last whistle. Um, and, and they've got the quality to do that and, and score you know, a couple of quick goals and change everything around. And to say, we thought we might see a weekend where we see both teams show a little chink in their armour. But they both respond the way that I guess true, really good sides do. So, yeah, it, that, that was great. I think Liverpool will come out of that feeling even better than City because that looked lost at one point. So they've got to be really impressed with themselves. And Cole, although Liverpool won in the dying seconds, as you just said, it could have been wrapped up a lot sooner. That is, if Roberto Fabinho's armpit was not offside. I mean, where literally do you now draw the line in all of this? Because it's just getting absurd now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean that that offside. It, you know, it, we thought Son's one was was bad, didn't we? Or like, you know, such borderline that you start saying, "Well, do we really want to see these given?" But that one with Firmino, um, and then when you're looking that you see him readjusting the lines all the time, it was almost like actually we've now got to make this offside to fit our. You know, we we've raised it. Um, if 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 goals like that are going to be chalked out, then I, I'm afraid. I was for VAR. I felt we could do with it. It was some technology that could really help the game. But if we're going to use it for those situations and chalk goals off like that, then for me, I could quite happily, if you gave me the choice to bin it tomorrow, I would actually say let's get rid of it because this is getting pantomime season. And I know we're coming into pantomime season, but this is getting farcical now, isn't it, with offsides like that? Drew, anything to add on the VAR matter? Yeah, I've been against VAR from the beginning, and it is just proving every single weekend how inept the referees are. And here's my thing, is in order to fix VAR, you have to punish those who cannot use it correctly, right? Just like any job. If you continually show you can't adapt, you can't utilize the technology that's given to you, you can't execute the duties of your role, then you don't deserve to be there. And it seems right now as if a majority of referees either can't get calls right or when it goes to VAR, choose not to get calls right. Whether they're trying to, you know, be a brotherhood of referees and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to throw, you know, my mate under the bus or something like that. But obviously they can't do it. And this weekend, right, we saw it uh, as Carl mentioned earlier with Firmino, it's getting out of hand with millimeters offside. If if we look at other games this weekend, there was a ton of uh, calls as well. And it's just gotten to the point where I think, you know, Carl mentioned already that he's ready to kick it in the bin. And I think a lot of other people are as well. It seems as if people have kind of reached their breaking point with this system. And, and I think people had high hopes after the 2018 World Cup. 
people were like, you know what, this might work. But seeing it now, especially in the Premier League, clearly these refs are inept and can't do it. And therefore, either get rid of VAR, which I don't think will happen, or reprimand and punish or even possibly fire those who can't do it. I think that's the only way to solve the issues right now facing the Premier League in terms of VAR. Interesting. See, I think think Dan there. I think Drew makes a really good point there. And the one way that I think if we're going to use this, I think needs to be implemented now is the referees on the pitch need to be the ones that go and review these decisions. Because if you get the ref go to the pitch side monitor and he gets told, go and have a look at this because you might have missed something. If he goes and he's going to be stubborn and he can still see something but not give it, then you've got someone that you can actually say, if after four weeks, well, this referee keeps ignoring his mistakes, he, you know, he's not spotting obvious things, then you've got someone that you can either train or mark down, or it might be that he has to get removed from the Premier League referee selection. You've got someone responsible that you can actually then say, actually, you got that wrong and it was you who did it. This Stockley Park at the moment, it's like a hiding ground for those who want to make decisions in the game. And actually, no one knows who's at fault here. The referees are getting, um, if you like, hounded for mistakes that are happening in games. But they're not being allowed to go and review the monitor, which is that's the way it's got to work if we're going to use it going forward. I think the referees on the pitch need to get told, please go and review this because we think there's something there and we want you to have another look. And then at least you can maybe look at where the problems might be coming from. But while it's just a man in Stockley Park who goes, no, no penalty, and we move on, it's farcical. It really is. Yeah, I can get on board with that. I think that's a good intermediary step or at least an attempt to try and improve what is clearly a failing system right now. So I I like what you're saying, Carl. I think that's a good good thing to try and implement and see – is this going to make it better? Of course, though, I doubt that's going to happen. Oh, it, it won't at all, will it? Yeah, they won't do it. They're, they're, they're scared to do it, aren't they, for some reason? And I, I don't understand why we're scared to let the guy on the pitch actually take another look at something he might have missed. Bizarre. It is bizarre. Drew, I'll stay with you. I'll come back to you, shall I say. Um, staying on the topic of Aston Villa and Liverpool, obviously they met in the Premier League at the weekend. They are due to meet in another competition, that being the Carabao Cup, although we have no idea when this game is going to be scheduled. Are we in danger of the Carabao Cup's integrity being further eroded if they don't get this one right? I actually think this is the canary in the coal mine that the Carabao Cup will come to an end sooner than later. Because just the mere fact that Liverpool is... Uh, Jurgen Klopp was very serious, very stern. We're, we'll just skip this. It's fine. And to me, that shows how unimportant the Carabao Cup is. Teams already don't really take it seriously. Most stadiums don't get sold out anyways. It really is such a low-priority competition that I think everything is indicating there's really no point to continue having it, especially France is really the only other you know, major country in, in European football that has a secondary Cup competition, and even they're ending it this year as well. And you already have people talking about, you know, there's there's too many games, there's not enough time off for players, they don't get enough time to rest. Well, how can you fix all of these issues? You eliminate the Carabao Cup. Now, I do understand that 
especially smaller clubs in the lower leagues, want to try and get that big payday by traveling up to a Premier League squad and facing them. So, so I get where the pushback would be. But I truly do think there's too many negatives, too many people don't like it, and this is the canary in the coal mine that this competition will end sooner rather than later. And for Liverpool, I don't blame them one bit. I would much rather go play in the in the Club World Cup uh, rather than playing in in a essentially a youth tournament. Yes, I mean, Cole, it's a sort of, I guess, a freak set of circumstances in that you've got this season a winter break, Liverpool playing in this World Club Cup. You've also got two cups in England, which, as Drew rightly says, is only that and France, and France have been in theirs. So, obviously, the FA would be well aware of this set of circumstances that are coming to a head. So, can you see Liverpool's threat of them playing in two competitions at the same time actually happening? Obviously, Jurgen Klopp can't be in two places at once unless he sort of creates a a hologram himself. That's not physically going to happen, but... Could that happen? Should it ever be an option? Or, if it does, do we run the risk of football starting to become even more franchised than it already is? Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it, Dan? You know, if you suddenly got a, a period of time where teams are being asked to basically almost, you need two 11s in case you're in lots of competitions, you could see a point where Liverpool might field a really weakened youth side in that cup game while the main squad go off to the Club World Cup. But then where does that kind of leave you in terms of integrity of the competition? Because the minute if Liverpool lose, um, then you've got people saying, well, you know, they've diminished the cup by fielding such a weak side. Um, As you say, this just leaves a nasty taste, doesn't it, with the amount of fixtures and the way it's going to be handled. Um, But as you say, it does then lead to start thinking, well, actually, will, will sides have almost two teams and you know, the glamour side go off and play all these big games while the small side, it becomes a little bit like international cricket in a way, doesn't it? You know, you've got the England team and all the stars go off and play for England while the county teams basically play each other with with no ones in the side. And then basically no one wants to watch that kind of sport because there's nothing there to get excited about. Um, I, I think they'll they'll have to find some way around this. Um, But like, as Drew said, I wouldn't be surprised if we start looking at eliminating the Carabao cup, um, because not be funny what the big teams want, the big teams will get. Um, They may then knock up another smaller trophy. You know, I know we've got, um, is it the checker trade trophy at the moment? I can't remember what they call it now where, you know, premier league side sends under 18 teams and they go off and play in that. Um, and we, it is just becoming fixture overload, isn't it? And at some point, something will have to give. Um, and I think if you put it out there, would anyone really miss the Carabao Cup if we got rid of it from next season onwards? I don't think there would. There'd be a few tradi- traditionalists who'd say, oh, you know, this ain't right. But I think after a season or so, people would be going, well, actually, no midweek games. Our players are getting more rest bring it on brilliant decision um and i think we'll follow suit I, I i can see it going as well yeah i think within let's say five to ten years i don't think we'll have a second cup competition in this country i think the pressures of football will get too much in the sort of the calendar you've also got a factor in the club world cup's going to be even bigger come 2021 you're gonna have that summer tournament so there's going to be even more player burnout somebody's gonna have to give and i think it will go by the wayside you know there might be some form of sort of bigger football league cup but not as we know it, you know, it might be that the championship then plays in the checker trade as well and so on and so forth. But I think big elite clubs in that competition, we're looking at those last days, as Drew says. So, Drew, we'll go back to the Aston Villa game. And in the last couple of weeks, they played Man City and Liverpool. 
They've given a fair account of themselves, but they're now 16th in the table. So they've got those two out of the way. Now they've got to start converting those decent showings against more winnable matches, haven't they? Yeah. You know, we've talked about this before. Aston Villa's points have not reflected their play out on the pitch. And, and you're right. They face some pretty tough teams, right? Against Liverpool here, for the first 50, maybe 60, maybe 70 minutes, they actually did a pretty good job of, of neutralizing Liverpool. Obviously, when it came down to it, in those dying moments, they weren't able to hold on any longer. But you have to give them credit for that. Against Manchester City uh, the weekend before, the same thing. They held them pretty well for the entire first half. So I think Villa, they're... It's unfortunate because they have had good performances. Generally, most of those have been at home, uh, a couple of good ones on the road. But they do have the talent. They do have the performances. It just hasn't gotten reflected in the points. So I, I don't really think it's time to panic. Uh, I, I don't think the fans or the club should really be worried about going down. I understand when you're that close to the relegation zone in November, it's, it's hard not to, to – to worry, but I think they're going to be okay because those performances they will end up getting points at other times, and especially when they take on some of the lesser teams that are, are near them in the table. I think they're going to be okay. Cole, if we swing over to the Etihad now, what did you make of Pep Guardiola lighting the blue touch paper with his comments after the game, along the lines of saying that Liverpool are good at certain things, such as diving? That sets, sets things up quite nicely for Showdown Sunday, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of reminiscent of the uh, Fergie Benitez days, wasn't it? Where it's like, right, let me try and get my first mind game um, trick in the bag and get get an sh- early shot fired away. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that Pep probably feels he needs to go down that route. Um, you know, when you've got a side like Cities, I don't feel you probably need to go to that level because, you know, yes, Liverpool are good, but City have got just as good a side who on their day as well can, can take everyone and anyone apart. Um, so I was a little surprised Pep um, went that way. Maybe he was a little bit frustrated from the actual game itself because I did think what he did was really funny once City got their uh, got their goal and started trying to hand the ball to the Southampton manager as if to say like you know you've been trying to hold on to this all day long to stop us scoring so maybe he was just fired up from the game and kind of lost his head for a minute because it is quite unlike him um, he doesn't normally get involved in that, but it you know is it a sign of some strain or some pressure? Who knows? I think you know this is a big game, so he does know that they really, if they want to, you know, if they want to stop the Liverpool charge, then they must get three points this weekend and close that gap because I don't think you can afford to let Liverpool get any further ahead because neither team really looked like dropping too many points at the moment. So this is massive. Um, is it a first sign of you know some some anger and frustration? We'll see. Um, and, you know, maybe it was just a kind of tongue in cheek. And what can I do to spark a little bit of a little bit of interest here? Then there's already going to be. Drew, we spoke about Southampton last week and the fact that they were probably fearing for their lives going to the Etihad. You know, they were on course for another hiding after shipping nine to Leicester the week before. It just goes to show how strange football can be at times. Because obviously, they take the lead against Southampton. Sorry, against Manchester City. Would that performance, has that given Harsen Hootle a bit more time? Obviously, he's still in a job now, but they go to play Everton on Saturday. Is that the game where either him or Silva, the chopping block, is ready to be prepared for one of those to go under the guillotine? 
So in terms of Ralph Hausenhudel, I don't think it matters that they took the lead and they were, you know, holding on against City for for a majority of the game. If he's out, he's out. I I, I don't think it really matters that I I don't look at this as oh look he galvanized the squad to to really get up for this game. I don't see it that way. If if they're already considering sacking him, then they should just do it. And even if they go into this match against Everton and perform well. It's the same thing. I I don't think it's he's turned things around or anything like that. And the same with Marco Silva at Everton. I actually thought the the game against Spurs was kind of that moment of can they prove against a struggling Spurs side that ev- can Everton prove against a struggling Spurs that they actually do have the ability they can turn their season around. We saw they didn't, and I think the same thing here with Southampton. I wouldn't be surprised to see another draw and. I could see both managers getting sacked in, in the international break because it doesn't look as if either one of them is really going to make a big difference in their squad and kick on for the rest of the season or, or get them into a comfortable spot away from the relegation zone. I don't, I don't think they have the magic touch to necessarily do that. Yeah, I think the international break is certainly going to be the period where one of, or if not a couple, managers will fall by the wayside. As to which ones, I guess the weekend's results will um, sort of push that closer towards the exit door. Of course, Tottenham and their manager isn't safe. And Tottenham, as you referenced, Drew, drew with Everton on Sunday. So, Carl, I've asked you about the human song sending off, so I'll ask you another question in a minute about that. But, Drew, what is your take on the South Koreans' red cards come Sunday? It wasn't a red card. Absolutely not. And, and it shouldn't have been changed. Now... I think it's a yellow card. It's a tactical foul. He tried to pull Gomez down. What I think happened was I think the referee saw Gomez's ankle, which was really gruesome, and he thought this must have been a worse tackle than I realized. Therefore, you know, endangering the uh, the opponent, which is a red card offense. I think that's what happened. Going back to what we talked about earlier with VAR and, and referees, if they can't do their job, you can't let your emotions get into it. Or the v, the VAR official should be telling him, no, you actually got it right. It wasn't that bad of a tackle. Just the aftermath happened to be a freak accident. And so San should not have been sent off. The referee, I thought, did a terrible job in assessing the situation. And when he changed his original ruling, I thought that was ridiculous. That wasn't the correct call at all. Now, again, I understand where he's coming from. It just simply was the wrong call, as so many Premier League referees have done uh, this season. So, Cole, I don't know if you've seen Stan Collymore's comments, but he's not covered himself in glory because he was pretty much saying that Son was putting the tears on to protect himself from the level of, of, of abuse that he felt the Everton fans might have given him after that tackle. How wide of the mark were those comments for you? Yeah, I think, um, I, you know, sometimes you just think people just need to just stay out of something. Um, I don't think those comments really help anybody at this moment in time. Um, you know, it, it's quite obvious that Son was distressed. You know, he is that sort of, you know, he does put his emotions on the line. You know, we've seen him when, you know, they've gone out of World Cups and that. You know, he's obviously an emotional person. Um, and actually... 
you know, the guilt that he probably feels around, I was involved in causing this injury to this guy, it, it could be distressing, you know, and quite rightly, you wouldn't blame him if he's, in, you know, in the next week or so, he's still not in the right frame of mind to play football because you will go onto the pitch and you will have those images and that sort of thing can stay with you a little while before you shake it. Um, so to kind of claim the crocodile tears and everything like that, I don't believe that for one minute because I don't believe Son is that sort of character at all. So none of that is just really helpful. And, and there's certain times where people just need to say, do you know what? I don't need to put my two pennies within here. Um, we'll stay out of it, especially when you've not been a squeaky clean character as well for a lot of your career yourself. Then, you know, we've all made mistakes and that. So m maybe sometimes it's better just say nothing. You know, and just, you know, if, you, if he felt if he feels that inside, then great. But you don't need to air everything you feel sometimes. And I certainly don't think he's picked the right player to try and accuse that of, because I just don't think Son's like that. And I think the whole of football are behind him. You know, I think he's getting a lot of support from a lot of corners, you know, who are saying, yes, you know, the guy probably feels really terrible because he was involved in that. We know he didn't mean that injury, um, but he will still feel guilty because he's been involved in it. So, yeah, really silly comments and just stuff that doesn't help anybody at all, really. Cole, I'll stay with you again because um, why was VAR unplugged for that tackle? You know, where was the assistance for Martin Atkinson when it should have been called upon? I, I think the danger as well we get into with this sun red card, isn't it, is... If you're going to now start, you know, as we spoke about before, you know, if this terminology now is going to be used endangering a player, well, I'm sorry, but any every single tackle in a football game or every movement you make with a body or that could possibly be seen as endangering a player because you could just 50-50, every tackle could result in a player getting their leg caught in the ground or something like that. You know, these freak things happen. Um so to try and say, oh, well, we're sending him off now because he was endangering a player. Well, what happens the next time we see a guy get smashed into the sideboardings of a football ground? Should we do we then send the guy off for that? Because that's an endangerment. You know, we've seen it loads of times. A bloke but shoulder barges somebody off the pitch. They go smashing into the hoardings at the side of the pitch. That could break someone's neck or break a leg. Are we going to send players off for that? If you look at the Gwendouzi tackle last week on Zahar, you know, a basically WWE clothesline round the neck to stop him. He could have both broken his neck or, you know, if we're going to start endangering is going to be the word, then we'll start seeing games down to five men each because every tackle could be an endangering tackle. Um, I fully agree, as we said. Son should have been booked. It was a what we call a cynical tackle, wasn't it? He knew he wasn't getting there, so he tripped him. But it wasn't an over-the-top, on-the-ankle, you know, a jumping in two-footed where you could go, well, actually, there's an element of intent in your tackle there. Um, I think they have to be really careful. And this endangering players could, could, you know, put the FA and Premier League on really dodgy ground because you then start to say, well, do we not issue cards until we see if a bloke's injured or not? Um, you know, do they? if you want to look at endangering and cynical, you know, maybe that that's where the sort of thing of like sim bins and stuff like that come in, because we do see players cynically take people out, um, you know, when they're breaking on the halfway line and you drag a bloke back. But you can't start sending people off for tackles like that. The tackle didn't cause the injury. It was the fall and the resulting collision with Aurier as well. And it's a freak.
Um, and yeah, I'm afraid we've got to be really careful here because this could turn, you know, we could start seeing lots of red cards coming out now. And I, I think, though, the right thing will be done and it will get rescinded, hopefully. Well, fingers crossed on that front. But, Drew, if we look at the two instances where VAR was called upon, first up, the Deli Alley contentious, I guess, handball in inverted commas. Do you think that was a penalty, especially under the current letter of the law? And also, what did you make of Hyun-Min Song's penalty call where Anthony Taylor had a, a second look just before play restarted? You know, it was nearly underway and it had to be dramatically called back. So, again, VAR, it's just, we keep saying this too many times, but it's not doing itself any favours, is it? So, where do you stand on those two? Yeah, the Deli Alley handball, to me, that one was clear and obvious, especially as you referenced the new way the laws of the of the game are written outside the silhouette and and hand above your head and, and and all of these you know nuances they put into it yeah that was without a doubt uh, a penalty you can't have your hand up that high and and come in contact with the ball with the other one son and then even for everton i think it was richarlison there was another uh one that was kind of in between i mean with those i i really think it just it is up to interpretation at that point and, and with both of those I can understand it going either way. Now, with with the Son one that you mentioned, I do think in that instance, trying to halt the game to make sure you get the call right is the right move, whether they got the call right after having to, to call it back and everything. That's where the kind of the debate is. Um, in, in terms of the call, I mean, I think it could really go either way. And I'll be honest, you know, here, here's the thing with so many penalty calls is let's say I, for example, think it is a penalty and, and you think it's not. Almost never are we going to convince the other to change their mind. And I think that's the case with with almost all of these calls, especially these ones in the Everton Spurs game. Whatever someone thinks, whether it was a penalty or not, they're never going to hear an argument and say, you know what? I think you're right. I changed my mind. Well, this is it, isn't it? Because ultimately, you know, as I've said before, goal line technology, brilliant, because it's absolute. There's no debate. It's either a goal or it's not a goal. VAR is meant to be a tool which helps referees, and it's meant to be assistance, isn't it? Because it's meant to be the extra set of eyes that either doesn't see or corrects a mistake. However, as you've just said, Drew, all it's doing is moving the subjectivity from one person to another. So when you've got a penalty call, that's just still someone's decision. If it's not the person on the pitch, it's that the person at Stockley Park. So, as you say, just because someone else is making it away from the field doesn't necessarily make it bulletproof. And I think that's where we're in this sort of murky sort of situation. So, do we say it's only for offsides? Do we strip it away? Do you know I mean, there's so many um, decisions or directions this could go now, and it's almost a shame, I think, because you know, Carl, we were saying post World Cup, start this season really pro like This is going to be really good for the game because we've seen it work properly and it's exactly what Premier League refs need. It's an absolute shambles now, isn't it? Yeah, I think the World Cup worked really well, didn't it? Because you had an, you had an incident. I mean, we remember the Colombia one where Colombia were given a penalty against them. And I think it was Davidson Sanchez who made a tackle round, round behind someone. And initially the ref gives a penalty and obviously VAR quickly look at it. But then it, I, for me, I think it worked so well because the referee then got told, um, can you go and have another look at this? Because we've got the replay and we're not so sure. And you see a great tackle in the end where he wins the ball. But the ref looked at it. Um, maybe what we've got to do is start saying, 
if you if you need three or four looks at something, then it's not clear and obvious, and we stick with the call on the pitch and we just move on. You know, unless suddenly you look at it the first time and can go, oh wow, the referee has really missed one here. Um, that is an obvious free kick there or a, a trip. Then, then we use it, and maybe that's the way it has got to go. You know, if you're needing three or four, or five looks at it, then it's not it's not clear. And maybe the best thing to do is just say, no, we're sticking with the on-field decision there. Uh, we're going to go with the ref because we've looked at it; it's not clear. But actually, the very first look we get at it, yes, there's a blatant trip. The ref has missed it. But even then, call the ref to the side again. Let the ref have a look because that's how it works so well at the World Cup. Um, I think we'd all take a little bit longer to get the right decision if we know it's being done properly. Um, whereas right now, again, like as we've said, one of the biggest problems, well, no one in the ground knows what's going on. Um, you're not hearing any communication between the officials. You know, if you look at rugby recently with the World Cup final, you've got the TMO and you can hear the conversations that are being had. And I think that's another thing that's causing VAR its problem. You know, it's, it's, it's shrouded in secrecy and no one really knows what's happening. And I think they're the things we've got to change if we want to keep this and make it work. Um, because otherwise, if we carry on, I think by the end of the season, everyone will have had enough of it and, and everyone will want it binned. And there is going to be something useful from this technology. Drew, Carl and I have lamented enough about Tottenham this season. I'm going to ask you, how much lower can Tottenham slide down the table? Obviously, not much lower due to their current position. But ultimately, are we now in a position, Spurs fans or the club itself, do you feel that Pochettino has almost got squatters' rights because he won't walk away, Levy won't pay him off. So we're now caught in this halfway house and no one wants to blink first. Yeah, there definitely is, you know, kind of a mono mono standoff, I think, taking place. But I, I think it's not just Levy and, and Pochettino. I think it also includes some of the players. You know, Christian Eriksen, another drab performance and just doing absolutely nothing when he's out on the pitch. You know, I, I, you're right. I mean, look, talent-wise, Tottenham is way better than 11th place. Talent-wise, Tottenham should be in the top half and, and near that top six, top four uh, area in the table, of course. I do think, though, you know, this game against Everton was their opportunity. Yeah, it's on the road, I know, and but Everton have been so bad this year. I think this was an opportunity for Spurs to kind of turn their season around, and they didn't. I think right now, Spurs are in real danger of missing out on qualifying for Europe, not just the Champions League, but I think they're in real danger of missing out on next year's Europa League as well. You know, if you remember a few seasons ago, uh, the Mourinho season at Chelsea, and I think Chelsea finished 10th or 11th that year, missed out on Europe, I think Tottenham might be having a season very similar to that right now. I mean, right now, they have less wins than they do losses. I know it's still early, you know, we're not quite at a third of the season gone yet. I think this is really how this team is going to operate for the rest of the campaign. And they really should be worried about missing out on Champions League, but Europe in general. And if and if that does indeed happen, obviously no one's coming to Spurs in the next window or two in terms of big players, big names. But also then they're going to be missing out on money, which means Levy can't even try to bid and buy different players. So I think this is a really big concern for the club and for fans. 
Yep, do you know what, Drew? I can't agree with you anymore. I think it is going to be one of those seasons where everyone keeps saying, oh, don't worry, it's only 11 games in. We keep sort of moving it a little bit more, but there's just no ignition spark. And you get into the point where this is just how we're going to be. You know, win a game, draw a game, probably lose a couple, so on and so forth. I I can't see this bolstering run of, you know, six unbeaten, ten unbeaten to really get us up the table. We just haven't got that about us at the moment, which is a real worry. And I think, you know, obviously there are... A few points between 5th and 11th, it's still very, very compact. But I think this is, you know, the norm now for Tottenham. And I think it's going to be quite the uh, quite the developments over the next couple of months. But we haven't really got time to talk about Tottenham because there's so much more to do. And we've also got to uh, pay the bills after the other side of this break. So don't go anywhere. Your accumulator letting you down again. You've cashed out early. And you just can't win. Prehistoric football coupons? Nah. Have a think about it. Why not play a new way? At Loserpool, pick a loser and win a thousand pounds in a last man standing tournament. Be a loser and win at Loserpool. Enter for free now. Visit loserpool.com. Right then, welcome back. We've got about 20-25 minutes to go and a lot to, still to talk about, so we best not dally too much. But before we talk about the Premier League, let's play loser pool. So you know the drill by now. Cole, Drew and I, we pick our guaranteed losers per week. And Cole, you've sort of nailed this game already, because out of four weeks, you've got all four picks correct. So who is your guaranteed loser this week? Uh, well, this week for me, Dan, I'm going to go for Arsenal um, away at Leicester. And to be honest, in the, the form that the two teams are in at the moment, uh, there's only one winner in this game for me. And I just think Leicester at home will just be too strong. They'll brush Arsenal aside. Um, and hopefully I can notch another, you know, another successful, successful team on my list. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you're an eight from eight at the moment in terms of points. So, Drew, can you, uh, can you catch him up? What's your pick for this week? Yeah, I was, I was also thinking about Arsenal. I, I was... Hoping I would go first so I could take them, but that's all right. Uh, I'm going to stick. I'm going to be a homer again. I'm going to take Chelsea as automatic winners. Automatic losers means Crystal Palace definitely going down this weekend. Yep, do you know what? That was going to be... I was flirting with that pick, so I don't blame you for picking that one, which means I'm going to go for... Oh, actually, do you know what? It's quite a a tough one. I'm going to go for Brighton to lose away at Manchester United. I know Manchester United haven't been great, but Brighton have failed to win... 33 of their last 37 away matches. And that's quite a damning statistic. So I think that run's going to continue come the weekend. So just to recap, first the points. Cole is on eight. Drew is on six. I'm on four. So I've got some work to do. And the picks for this week. Cole has gone for Arsenal to lose away at Leicester. Drew has gone for Crystal Palace to lose away at Chelsea. And I've gone for Brighton to lose away at Manchester United. Right then, let's take a whistle-stop tour through the rest of the Premier League. And where should we go next? Let's go to Chelsea. And Cole... Five wins out of five for Chelsea. They're really finding their groove now. You'd have to say comfortably in the top four. And almost at this stage, even with only 11 games played, a Champions League place is very much theirs to lose. 
Yeah, look, looking really good, you know. They've got themselves settled. Um, they're playing some good, attractive stuff. You know, Abraham has hit the ground running now, and as you can see, he's full of confidence. Um, the first goal against Watford was just pure class, wasn't it? The through ball and then the composed finish. You know, Mount's playing brilliantly, uh, and Frank has done it superbly with the likes of Pulisic. Um, you know, he's got the young boys playing well. He's also kept the older players on the side like William uh, and, you know, he's really kind of making them feel important. Um, and Chelsea just look like they're in a groove. And, you know, once you get in that groove, you know, it, it's, it's a good place to be. The one thing I think, obviously, Frank will want to see a little bit more is the home form because away from home, they've been brilliant. Um, the form at Stamford Bridge has been a little bit patchy. Um, but if they can sort that out and start picking up more wins at home, then you'd have to say that Chelsea are putting them in a really strong position to make sure that top four should be within their reach. Um you know, by the end of this season. And, and if they do that, then, you know, you'd have to say that that has been a brilliant season because once they can then start adding to that squad again, I don't see Frank being the sort who's going to go and blow, you know, lots of money now to bring in lots of new big faces because something's clearly working there and those young lads are starting to get a good feeling about themselves. Uh, and that could take Chelsea, you know, quite, quite a long way. So it's looking really good for the blue side of London. And Drew, we waxed lyrical about Christian Pulisic last week. He was on hand to score against Watford. It seems as if the American is really finding his groove right now. From here on in, he's going to be a real asset for Chelsea, especially across these autumn and winter months. Yeah, absolutely. He's been on a fantastic run of form. And, you know, it, it started with him coming on as a sub and got a couple of assists, made big impacts in the game. And then he earned his start against Burnley. Of course, he had the perfect hat trick. And then again, this weekend, you know, it wasn't just the goal, but he was fantastic in attack. He had a few other shots saved uh, brilliantly by by Foster, which was fantastic from him. So Pulisic has had a big, big impact uh, going forward for Chelsea, and he's earned his starter's role. Now, with that being said, there is so much competition in that squad up front. Uh, Tammy Abraham, I know they play a different position, but... As Carl referenced, he's been playing uh, so well this year. William has done pretty well also. And then you have hudson Adoy, you have Mason Mount. So you have a lot of guys, uh, Pedro, who can compete for those wide forward spots. And I think that's probably going to work in as motivation for Pulisic to continue his good run of form. So he's not a guaranteed starter yet for me. Still, though, he deserves to continue starting at this point. And if he continues to produce he's definitely going to be one of their main players. You know, something I said on my podcast uh, on the counter with Drew Pels before the season started was Pulisic needed 15 goals and assists to be, or combined to have a successful year. And right now he's about halfway there. He's got four Premier League goals, which ties his career high for league goals. He only had uh, a four at most in the league with Dortmund. And we're only in November, so I think he's on pace for a very good year. He's getting better, and he's going to be very, very important for them, uh, not just through the festive period, but I think all year. Cole, more VAR controversy. I promise this is the last VAR question of the episode. Vicarage Road, obviously Watford were awarded a penalty late on. What did you make of that incident? Did you think it was the right award in the end? 
I think, I mean, yes, there, you know, there was contact on the foot, you know. I think it, it was quite funny because Watford probably get the softer of the two when you consider the penalty they didn't get at White Hart Lane, um, you know, the week before, which I thought was, you know, was a 100% stonewall penalty when Vertonghen tackles Delefeu. I felt that this one was a little bit softer, but there was contact on the foot. You know, for me, I still think Delefeo probably goes down as easily as Son did in the Everton game at the end because, you know, yes, there was contact, but not enough to make him stop and fall the way he did. Um, and again, I think, as Drew said, that's one of those that if you showed 100 people, 50 would probably turn around and say, no, I don't think so. And 50 would say, yes, for me, it is. Um, and Watford just got that one on their side this time. But again, you know, a real hard call. There was some contact. So maybe, you know, fair enough. They didn't get one the week before against us. They should have done. So maybe karma has kind of worked its way round and finally worked on their side. But, you know, Watford, unfortunately, you really need to start looking at picking some wins up because they're in a really bad spot at the moment. And uh, it's going to be hard for them to recover. So they really need to get themselves going very quickly now. Yes, that brings me on to our next question for Drew. So, Drew, we're now 11 games into the season. Watford have failed to win any of them. Kike Sanchez-Flores has overseen seven of those. Calling for his head might be a bit drastic when you consider that Harry Gratcher got four games. However, do you feel the Hornets are in a false position or are they genuinely the worst team in the league right now? They are genuinely the worst team in the Premier League right now. I, because even if you if you go back to the end of last season... I think the FA Cup final appearance, and, and they started off that match pretty well the first 10 or 15 minutes. They could have gone up ahead. Ultimately, they got smoked. But I think that overshadowed their abysmal form towards the end of last season, which has now carried over into this year. And they're doing exactly the same under Sanchez Flores as they did under Grazia. So I don't really know if it's the manager's fault. I really think... They are this bad, and it doesn't. I it doesn't look as if they're all of a sudden going to pick up a few wins and then confidence, and they're going to get out of the relegation zone. They look like they're going to be in the cellar the entire season. Uh, you know, much like Huddersfield was last year, I could see Watford getting relegated in March or April, like the beginning of April, like way before the end of the season. This is going to be a very very long year for the Hornets. Well, yeah, I mean, if they keep this points-to-games ratio up, it's going to be, what, about 20 points for the season. So they could be done by, you know, like you say, February, March, and it's not looking good for the Hornets indeed. One team that's not in a false position is Leicester, and their win season stay third in the table. Cole, after a slightly sluggish first half against uh, the Eagles, second half completely different, and Jamie Vardy is once again playing like, I guess, that 2016 vintage all over again. Yeah, they're looking good, aren't they? I think they've just got the bit between their teeth. You know, they're they're hungry. Um, they're playing some really good football. They've got a squad, you know, that, that's got some good players in there and they're all firing. Um, Jamie Vardy, I've loved Jamie Vardy for a long while. You know, he, he, would have been, he was top of my priority list for Spurs um, after the, you know, Leicester 
title winning season um, and he's just proving what a good handful of a striker he is you know he doesn't care there's no reputations he's worried about he goes out he does his business um, and Leicester are just flying and when you look at their next run of say six odd games they really could in the next six games cement their top four place this season because they haven't got anyone that you look and go oh well actually you could see them dropping points here or dropping points to those they look like they can pick up points each week right now um and i you know right now leicester would be one of my favorites for top four this season because it's all working for them they seem to be enjoying playing under rogers and and he's got them back you know seeming loving life so if you're a leicester fan right now you can't believe where this team's come from because they are looking so so good of course it was vardy who ended the scoring and sunchu who opened it Joe, it's fair to say that Leicester have found a real player there, haven't they? I think he looks almost like Rolls-Royce quality. Not only that, his finish was like a striker's. You know, the positioning, the body movement needed to nod it home. It's a case of, who is that Harry Maguire? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? They don't even miss him anymore, do they? Yeah, Harry Maguire, he made the worst decision ever in football history. <laughs> going to Manchester United. I, I get The money, I get it. Manchester United, the name, I get it, but... Boy, did he make a big mistake. And this is obviously not going to happen. But if I was him, I would I would rather be a squad player at Leicester, put my tail between my legs, and come back if I was Harry Maguire. I would rather do that than, than play at Manchester United right now. Again, I understand money and everything, but he made the wrong decision. So Yuncho, I, I, I'm sorry if I'm butchering his name. I try my best. He has been fantastic this year as a defender. Diamond in the rough that they found and uncovered in him. He's been fantastic in the air. He's been fantastic with his feet defensively. And then, of course, Cherry on top this weekend, like you talked about. His movement was fantastic. He struck the ball perfectly for the for the opening goal. And, I mean, right now, you could arguably say for him, young player of the season. He's been that good. You could say, and, and he probably won't win for Leicester player of the year, but he should be in that argument. He has been absolutely fantastic in every aspect of of the game this year so carl we look at the premier league table and you've got six points separating arsenal in fifth and everton sorry everton in 17 so it's clear to see we're seeing a real divide now between the top four and the rest the way things look this season is the notion of the big six dead in the water um, I, I'm not so sure, you know, obviously, you know, we've got the, you've got those sides that, you know, you know, United will still go and try and spend some money again and Ollie won't get too much longer, you know, before they'll try to make a change to shake it up. I just think we're having that sort of season like the Leicester title winning season where those big sides are all slipping um, and we might just see one of those freak seasons again where a couple of those big teams miss out. But You know, right now, I can't see, you know, you can't make a case for Arsenal, United or Tottenham finishing in the top five even at the moment. Um, But I I think they'll be back. You know, the one thing you can be assured of is when teams have a little slump like that, then they normally try to work it out the next year because the money and everything they lose um, just makes them wake up a little bit and they realise they need to sort of pull their finger out. So I think they'll be back next season. Um, But this year, I think there could be some big names missing out. So part of the reason that the uh, Premier League table is in a state of flux is that Manchester United are struggling. There's no doubt about that. Drew, last week, 
we were both under the belief that the Red Devil was going to be, you know, in a period of resurgence. Like things were finally going to get started. Favourable fixtures on the horizon, a good run of results. What do we know? Because obviously they lost to Bournemouth on Saturday. So Bournemouth now seventh in the Premier League table. I, I, I genuinely thought, you know what? Yeah, it, and I get that. But I mean, Bournemouth hadn't scored a goal well, exactly. in what? Four games? Yeah, six Something hours. like that. Yeah. And so that's why, that was another reason I thought Manchester United, they're going to be doing okay. Yeah, no, absolutely not. This is Manchester United are simply an average squad. That's all they are. They are a bang average squad in the Premier League. And that shows because when they go up against teams like Bournemouth, who they should be better than, yet they can't do it. When they go up against a team like Bournemouth, who hasn't scored in several hours, and they can't keep a clean sheet against them. When they went into Newcastle, who is battling relegation, and they can't they can't beat them, whether it's on the road or not. Manchester United is a bang average team, and they should be so much better. They do have, you know, Harry Maguire. He's is he a world beater? No, but is he pretty good? Yes. They do have David De Gea. You know, they do have uh, Aaron Juan Bissaka, who who was a big pickup. I thought, you know, obviously they're missing Paul Pogba, but then up front you do have Marcus Rashford, who divides opinion. You do have Martial. I know he just came back, but they do have better players than Bournemouth. They do have better players than a fair amount of teams in the Premier League, yet for some reason they just can't put it together. And this is what they're going to be throughout the rest of the season, I think. You're going to see a couple wins and then a loss or and a draw, and it's just going to be up and down, and they're just going to be bang average. Yeah, I think just like Tottenham, they're going to just not really get on a run. There should be a win here, a win there, do you know what I mean? But no real substantial run of form. I'll stay with you, Drew. Bournemouth, they're seventh in the table after that win. Do they push themselves and go for a higher standing, or do they just settle for being part of the Premier League landscape once again? You know, they're very um, guilty of just being comfortably mid-table. Once they get there, they're on the beach, quite literally. So are they going to do exactly the same, or will they finally look to sort of break the glass ceiling that is sitting above them? I would love to see them crack into uh, a European place and get into the Europa League. The reason I, I think it's probably not going to happen is because... You know, they are a very, very small club. I mean, they have the smallest stadium in the Premier League, which I think holds maybe eleven or 12,000 people. And so with that, I think they would much rather not try and get a Europa League place and possibly lose games. And they would rather, you know what, we'll take a draw, we'll just take the point, and we'll sit comfortably in the Premier League. I think that's what most likely is going to happen. I would love to see them break the glass ceiling, like you said. I just don't think that's very likely. Right, there's four matches left to cover. We've got about seven minutes. So let's turbocharge really through the last quartet. So let's go to Bramall Lane first. Cole, Sheffield United, a 3-0 win over Burnley. To be honest, I don't think anyone expected a win of that magnitude due to their lack of goals that they scored this season. However, it's not really about goals at one end. It's keeping them out at the other. They conceded just eight so far. That's certainly going to stand them in good stead if that kind of defensive form can continue. Yeah, they're, they're looking really good, aren't they? For a team that fundamentally looks a little bit like a championship side, but they've kind of hit the ground running. They're all working for each other. 
And, you know, let's say they play some good, attractive, fast-paced football. So if they can keep that going and, like as you say, keep clean sheets at one end and nick a couple at the other, um, then they should be able to see themselves um, safe this season. And I think their home form will be vitally important because if they can make Bramall Lane a little bit of a fortress, then, you know, the way it's looking, I think they could be all right this season. And Drew, West Ham, no winning five now. They lost to Newcastle, which was something of a shock. Maybe Newcastle were probably, arguably, the team of the weekend. So, you know, West Ham were dreaming of a top six finish at the start of the season. That bubble was completely burst now, hasn't it? Yeah, West Ham was a fraud the entire time. I was never buying into the hype. <laughs> especially, no, I wasn't. Especially no, no, when no, they no, lost no. at home to Crystal Palace. I thought, yeah, this isn't happening. So, yeah, you're right. They they had a little bit of a, of a good kick for, you know, five or six games or whatever it was. But they have now gotten to exactly where they're going to be. They're going to battle to try and finish somewhere mid-table, you know, hopefully for them above 12th. But West Ham are a fraud. There's no way they were ever going to finish in a Europa League spot this year. Cole, in about 60 seconds, can you highlight where it's gone wrong for Arsenal? Because it's two home draws in a row now. I, I think then we could be going back pods for two years. I think Arsenal haven't changed. Nothing's changed since Wenger's left. They're the same flaky side at the back, you know, can be decent going forward. Um, and I think we'll be saying the same thing um, possibly next season even because it just no one seems to be able to work it out there. And I don't see any difference now from when Wenger was there. Yep, you're absolutely right. I could have just stitched in an old answer there, really, couldn't I? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Probably. Same, same thing from two years ago. You know, great game forward, dreadful, utterly diabolical at the back. Yeah, and I think no one would be none the wiser. Finally, Drew, Brighton, another good win at home. That's 10 points from the last 12 at the Amex that they've picked up. I referenced their shabby away form, but if they can pick up wins like that at home, that's going to do their harm, Sorry, their hopes no harm at all. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's always the mantra is win your games at home and get results on the road. And to a certain degree, that's pretty much what they've done, right? This one against Norwich, they came back against uh, Everton, they beat Tottenham not too long ago. And if they can continue to do that, they're going to be in the Premier League for another season. I had them going down uh, before the season started, but they might just prove me wrong. Yep, like I say, if they can keep the Amex form going, they should be just about all right. However, you look at teams like Norwich, one point for the last six matches. The highs of being Manchester City, you know, they are just from a bygone era, aren't they now? You know, the harsh reality of the Premier League is really kicking in for Daniel Farker and his players. And they host Watford on Friday night. And that is almost a six-pointer. You've got 19th playing home to 20th. Something's got to give, unless it's a draw, I guess. But that's going to be quite an interesting clash. I mean, do the teams set themselves up not to lose? I guess we'll find out next week. And next week, we'll be back with another episode because that's it. We've hit just about full time. I think we've just about got everything in. Uh, apologies if VAR took up too much time, but I think that's just the nature of football and football discussion at the moment. So just to wrap up, I need to thank my guests. Carl, a sterling return. It's always a pleasure to have you on board. So thanks ever so much for your time this afternoon. Cheers, Dan. Loved it. Good to be back, mate. Cheers, buddy. And of course, Drew, thank you ever so much for your time. A real pleasure to have you on board today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Dan. I appreciate it. Carl, I'm glad you're back uh, helping me carry the load and um, banging in all the goals with all of the uh, wonderful opinions and analysis. So I'm glad you're back. Top yeah. man, Drew. Thank you very much, buddy. Yes, excellent work to the pair of you. So thank you so much. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. 
in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say: your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over a hundred social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today! At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.